What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Showcase Sports Show. I am your host, Griffin Conant. Alongside, as always, my co-host, Elijah Cornejo. How you doing, E? I'm doing all right, Griff. How are you today? Pretty swell, if I must say so myself. Uh, we had a special guest on this week's episode who we recorded with earlier in the week. Uh, Mark Johnson, the voice of the Colorado Buffaloes, was kind enough to join us and we asked him a few questions. Yeah, it was really awesome to have him on our podcast. He was super kind, super great to come on and talk some Colorado Buffalo football and basketball with us alongside some Pac-12 football. We hope you guys enjoy the interview. All right, so we have a very special guest on today's show. He's been the voice of the Colorado Buffaloes for 16 years, and uh, we are very lu- lucky enough to have him on the show today. How you doing, Mark? Fantastic. Yeah, boy, when you say 16 years, this is year number 17. That means I'm getting old. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my goodness. Well, hey, uh, we appreciate you for coming on the show today. Um, means a lot for sure. Let's get started uh kind of talking about how you got to where you are in your career now, um, even before you're at Syracuse doing that thing, what, what, what were you able to kind of do to kind of put yourself in the position that you are now in your career? Well, uh, I grew up in North Dakota. I'm a farm kid from North Dakota and always had the idea that I was going to, when, when I was a young man, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to be either a high school coach, a pastor, or a sportscaster. And um, <laughs> I veered off into the sportscaster world. I was a college athlete, to be honest with you. And uh, so I, I was always around the sports world. I was a pretty good basketball player at one time, many pounds and many years ago. And so uh, I just started moving up the ranks, you know, working hard, trying to figure out how this whole business worked. And my first real big break, fresh out of college, I did my alma mater, University of North Dakota. So I, I did some, some uh, college football and basketball games for them with another guy. And then moved around the country a little bit and finally got my first Division One job. Let's see, it would have been 1997. I did, had a 1AA job with Illinois State University in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. And I was doing that. I did that for four years. And I was still trying to branch out. And then uh, the good Lord smiled upon me. I got to the campus at Syracuse University, the same time a guy named Carmelo Anthony did. And about six months later, I'm calling a national championship. As I told Melo for years, every time I see him, he always says, you know, they haven't won since we left. And I always say, you know, <laughs> you had more to do with that than I did. <laughs> I was just yeah. sitting and watching and talking about it. So I was at Syracuse for a couple of years, and uh, that kind of put my name on the national map and led to me coming to Denver and KOA Radio and working with, you know, I've, I've worked in the past with, uh, you know, Sports USA and Westwood One doing national games and uh, just love Colorado and said I'm never leaving. And so here we are, like we said, uh, year number 17 is the voice of the Buffs. Awesome. Well, well Colorado's yeah, great. It's not a bad decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, going back to what you were saying about uh, your time at Syracuse, um, what was it like car- uh, covering Carmelo Anthony and that 2003, uh, you know, basketball team? Was that kind of the most magical run that you've ever been a part of? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, you think about it. So I get the job and guys, I don't know what, what you or many of your viewers and listeners will know about the Syracuse job, but in the world of sports casting, Syracuse pumps out, uh, you know, top level play by play people, you know, like, uh, like, like, you know, well, like Syracuse turns out NBA players. Let's put it that way, right? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of the mecca of play by play announcers. And so it was really uh, a phenomenal, you know, stroke of luck and, and uh, blessing for me to get the job as the voice of the Orange, even though I was not a Syracuse grad. 
And so went through the whole process. And I get that position. I get to town. They were not coming off a great season the year before. They're in the NIT uh, final for the, the year before. You know, with, with the success Jim Beheim has had there, I mean, every year you seem to think about Syracuse making a deep run of the NCAA tournament. But they hadn't had a great year the year before. And so I get there, not knowing a great deal about the team, obviously. And I uh, understand they've got the number one recruit in America. I got him, Carmelo Anthony, out of Baltimore, Maryland. And you, know, you think, well, this guy's going to be pretty good. Uh, they got, had a guy named Jerry McNamara who turned out to be a phenomenal player. Akeem Warwick was on that team. He played a number of years in the NBA. Jeremy McLean McKin- uh, and uh, uh, Craig Forth. And I can go on down the list. Billy Edlin was another one. So you thought they had a chance to maybe be pretty good once you saw what you know, Mello was all about and Jerry was all about. And as that team began to grow throughout the early part of that season, there was a stretch. Oh, I want to say it was in early February. And if somebody checks my facts, I might get it wrong in terms of the time of the year. <laughs> but we're rolling along and having a real nice season. You could see them kind of growing up. You know, his time was, was uh, uh, you know, rolling along. And we had a Sunday game. It was a CBS game. I think it was on Sunday in East Lansing, Michigan. And Michigan State was one of the top teams in America that year. And we went in there and won. And then, I don't know, two or three days later, we're at Georgetown. And Georgetown was a great team that year and won back-to-back road games against two real high-level teams. And I remember thinking, well, there's a chance here. And then that tournament rolled around. And, and they, you know, the, the Orange you know, weren't great in the Big East tournament that year. I mean, they did okay. And then got to the NCAA, and, and magic happened. And you guys may or may not – well, you guys are too young to remember this. What am I talking about? Back in 2003 <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> The Big Twelve ago. was the yeah, no doubt. The Big Twelve <laughs> was the best league in America that year, hands down. I mean, they were you know with Kansas and Missouri and the two Oklahoma schools, uh, they were phenomenal. And the Buffs, or the, rather the Orange, that's what the seventeen years done. I only think about Buffs. Right. The, the Orange <laughs> went to the Columbia and knocked off the Tigers in a big Monday game earlier in the year, and in the tournament had to play the two Oklahoma schools and. Uh, obviously, uh, Kansas and Texas, who were in the Final Four that year. And so my old joke was I wasn't sure what was more impressive, uh, whether the, the Orange won the national championship or the Big 12 title that year. But it, it was really an <laughs> impressive run. Carmelo was unbelievable, obviously. I mean, he was the best player in America. And I'm not sure – I don't think up to this point we've seen a freshman carry a team the way he did. And I, I'm not sure we'll see that for many, many years. But it really was special to be sitting there and being able to call that ball game down at the Superdome in New Orleans and, and uh, be the guy that called the national championship at one point. Yeah, well, he'll, he'll always have that national championship that LeBron never could get, I guess, right? That's one thing he'll always have on LeBron. <laughs> hey, uh, of right. course, Mark, you, uh, after Syracuse, you uh, kind of pack your bags and travel west to Colorado, and you're paired with a guy named Larry Zimmer. Um, yeah. So, I, well, I mean, Larry Zimmer, he's been calling Broncos games. I mean, just a Colorado radio legend, right? Yep. Uh, old Broncos guy doing buff for years as well. What was it like being the successor for Larry Zimmer? Uh, what did you learn from him in the 11 years that you did work with him? Well, I'll tell you what, guys. So um, I was at Syracuse for two years, and, and I had some history in Denver. After I called the national championship, I actually got a call from KOA Radio and the Broncos, and I came out and did a couple of Broncos games, okay, in, in 2000. That would have been the uh, 2003 NFL season. So I did a game in Houston, and I did a game uh, at that time. They were playing the Bears. They were down in Champaign when Soldier Field was being refurbished. So I did a Broncos-Bears game and a Broncos-Texans game. And that, that kind of got my foot in the door here in Denver. And, and, and so at least I was a known you know, commodity uh, at that point in time. 
when we started having conversations. Now, Zim had stepped down, oh, man, it must have been three or four years prior to them bringing me on. He had stepped down and kind of semi-retired from the day-to-day at KOA. So he was no longer the sports director, and they'd been kind of navigating without having a sports director. And so when we started talking about that job, and, and Larry was getting to the point where maybe he was thinking about, you know, kind of stepping uh, back a little bit more. And so they had talked to me about coming in and doing the play-by-play alongside of Larry. And, the, you know, the play-by-play world's kind of a small world. And, I, and word started leaking out that maybe that was, they were going to talking to me. And I had, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess no fewer than probably eight or ten guys called me up and said, do not take that job. You don't want to follow the guy. He's a legend. You know, you're wow. going to get destroyed. And, and you know, there, there's an old adage in, in this broadcast world. You don't want to be the guy after the guy. You want to be the guy after <laughs> the guy after the guy. Okay? Yeah, you want makes a buffer sense. in between. And so, um, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I, I heard all that advice, and I totally ignored it. I always wanted to be <laughs> in KOA Radio, and I always wanted to be in Colorado. And so I took that job anyway. And Larry could not have been more gracious, and I tried to return the favor. In fact, I'll tell you guys a quick story. The first big event I was at when I got here in 2004, they used to have a big uh, kind of pre-Rocky uh, Mountain Showdown event, a big pep rally type deal and a luncheon in downtown Denver. And so I've been in town no more than just, uh, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks maybe. And I go to this event, and they're going to introduce me, and they want me to get up and say a few words. And there's, I don't know, maybe 1,000 people there. And they introduced me as the voice of the Buffaloes, Mark Johnson. And I'm walking up the stairs to get on stage, to get to go to the podium to say a couple of words. And that, that kept kind of bouncing around in my head. And I thought, I, that, that, that's not right. Because I'm working with the guy that's the voice of the Buffs. And so I got up there at the podium. And I, you know, I said, thank you for that warm introduction. I very much appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. I said, would you guys do me a favor? I said, that man down there, and I'm pointing to Zim, I said, that man is the voice of the Buffaloes, and he has been since 1971. I'm coming in now as the play-by-play announcer for the Buffaloes, and until he retires, I'll be the play-by-play announcer. He'll be the voice of the Buffs. That was kind of me just kind of repaying Zim for the graciousness he showed me, <laughs> and I wanted to show him that respect. And so for those 11, almost 12 years that he and I worked together, he was the voice of the Buffs. I was just a play-by-play announcer to accept that title until after he retired. So it was great working with Larry. I mean, he has seen, you know, he has seen so much over the course of his 50-some years that he did this. Um, you know, doing the Broncos, doing the Buffs. He did uh, Michigan for a few years, worked at all sorts of different levels, did some Olympic stuff. And so there was just a wealth of knowledge there. And even though I wasn't coming in as a 25-year-old, and that time I was 37 when I got here, I still had a lot to learn and so I was picking his brain about things and we'd compare notes and and it was a great learning experience for a number of years to sit alongside him and you know kind of uh, uh, absorb some of the history that he had with Colorado that I could then understand so that when he did finally retire here what five years ago uh, you know then I could start to pass some of the long now I'm the old guy on the broadcast you know that's the way it works <laughs> well I will go. say that <laughs> You did make the right choice not listening to those guys and coming to Colorado. You did a good choice. That's right. Um, but with what you were saying about, you know, calling those Broncos games back in 2003, you know, how similar is it to call a basketball and a football game? Is there much of a difference between the professional and the collegiate level as well, you know, for, I guess, kind of in your role and calling yeah. those games? Well, doing an NFL game is actually easier than doing a college game. 
And, and you know, maybe your listeners might say, well, how's that possible? Well, think about it. It's a much smaller roster, right? You've only got 53 men on, a, on an NFL roster. Um, right. Generally, if you're a sports fan, you in large part know the star players on every team of the NFL, right? Well, true, true. I'm the voice of the Colorado Buffaloes. If, uh, you know, Miami of Ohio comes in, I know nothing about them. So i got to get ready for a game. They've got 100 guys in their team. I've got much more preparation to do. And think of this for a second. There are no duplicate numbers in the NFL, and numbers are laid out so you know by a number what position a guy plays. All right? And so it's a lot easier to do an NFL game from a preparation memory standpoint than it is to do a college game. And so uh, I'd say that's a big difference. Uh, there's something special to me about college. That's why I've always stuck with college, and I've done NFL and, and, and done plenty of that kind of stuff, and maybe we'll do more in the future. But I like the college atmosphere, the emotion. I like Ralphie running. I like all those things that make a college environment what it is. And so that, that to me, is a big difference as well. The NFL is the greatest athletes in the world. Uh, there is no walk-on in an NFL team. There is no guy that shouldn't be on a roster like you can have at a college, you know, if a college team has a bad knee and they can't find anybody else, well, you find a warm body, and, and let's hope we don't have to play that or lean on that guy too much. That doesn't happen in the NFL, so there are differences there. Now, as to football and basketball and, and the difference between the two, football, I always tell people, is a very simple deal. This is all it is, seriously. All doing a football game is down-distance yard marker, formation. Got to make sure you mention the time and score and where you're at in the ball game, right? So you, you call the formation – after you make sure everyone knows the down distance yard marker, call the play. There's a snap. You know, a quarterback rolls out to the right, throws it off for the flat, caught by this guy, tackled by that guy, out of bounds, gain of seven seconds, down to three, analyst speaks. And you repeat that for three and a half hours. That's all it is. It's a wow. formula. Down distance yard marker, formation, make sure you throw the time in, call the play, call the tackle, analyst, and then I do it all over again. All right? We're basketball. Mark. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty simple until you're sitting in the seat with the headphones right. on. Then it gets a little bit more difficult. <laughs> I, now, basketball, yeah, basketball or hockey is an ebb and a flow, and, and so it's flowing all the time. Basketball and hockey are all about – I did a hockey. I came from hockey country as a kid, so I, I knew the game. And so it's, it's all about the, the geography, the ice, or the court. Uh, you got to make sure you're getting to all the action. You have to be a little more selective in basketball than you do in hockey because it's a quicker game and a lot more space to cover. And so that's an ebb and a flow. you got to make sure you're telling the story in a linear fashion. And what I mean by that, you can't confuse people by bouncing around too much because then they can't, they can't see it with their mind, if you will. And then, you know, I've done, I did plenty of Major League Baseball. I would say Major League Baseball, that's the third one that's a little different. That's a three-and-a-half-hour broadcast with eight minutes of action. And so you've got to figure out how to tell a story uh, surrounding a little bit of actual action, right? Because a lot of standing around in baseball. So a play happens, it's over in seven seconds, and now we're all relaxing again and talking about, you know, what this guy hit in that circumstances, what the pitcher's doing, and what's happening with the crowd, and all these different things. And, oh, there's another quick play. There's a throw over to first, and so you, you know, you recap that. So that, that's the difference that the way that kind of the three sports or four sports in that case uh, unfolds. And it's, in essence, the same concepts – just a little different formula for each one of the sports. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's talk about this game that uh, occurred this past weekend. Uh, Buffalo's got the win over the Bruins, 48-42. to 42. Uh, Sam Neuer, fifth-year senior, backed up Steven Montez for years. Uh, was even Seth Lufau's backup for a little bit there as well. Uh, what, what, did you, what were you impressed kind of by Sam Neuer and his performance? Uh, maybe who were some other top stars that kind of impressed you throughout the game? 
Well, Sam Norris is a great story, and I gave Sam a tough time the other day. So I told him he's the only one around Colorado football that's been here almost as long as I have. You know, he's he's been around that league. <laughs> yeah. He was with Seth Moe. He's been there a long time. Yeah, been backing up Stephen. He's been a long time. But what, what I loved about that story about him coming out and having that kind of ball game, and you know, Pat throwing for a touchdown and not having any interceptions, he rushed for a touchdown, ran for 64, 65 yards in that ball game. Is Stephen, when you watched him over the years, you always watched him and said, well, he looks the part. He's six four. He runs exceptionally well. He's a very good athlete, very smart. He had all the things you'd be looking for. The guys love him. They love to follow him. He's a good leader, but never had the opportunity because he was backing up a guy that turned out to be one of the best quarterbacks in Colorado history. And then last year, you could tell he was getting frustrated, so he goes over and plays safety so he can get himself on the field. Then he got a coaching change, and he's thinking about leaving. And so uh, as he's just about to put himself in the transfer portal, this new staff says, hey, why don't you come back and give it a try? They talk him into it, and it worked out. And so it's one of those great stories we love in sports, perseverance. He had trials, the ups and downs of a career, and he ends up back on the field. And so going through camp and getting a large share of those first – uh, team reps he was prepared uh, he was right between the ears and so you know it ends up being a great story and I, I hope you know that's just the first of what we hope is seven games and, and he plays a lot of football and has a great career because physically he's got the tools in fact I had a scouting friend of mine watch that ball game and he said you know that guy's gonna open up some eyes because of all the different skill sets he has uh, at the next level he has no no history no experience but he's got a chance so that's a great story for Sam and obviously Jarek Broussard the, the young running back out of Dallas for Colorado that uh, has had two knee operations and we heard he was supposed to be a great player never had a chance to see him and then he goes out in his debut and rushes for 187 yards and three touchdowns and, uh, and the history of that by the way is phenomenal the last buff to ever have three touchdowns in his debut was Bobby Anderson, a Hall of Famer in 1969. And the wow. last buff to rush for over 150 yards in his debut was the late great Heisman Trophy winner, Rashawn Salam. So you're talking about some rarefied error there. Right. And we really found, I think, a very special running back. with uh, He's got the instinct. His balance is amazing. His cutting ability seems to have all the tools. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Neuer and Broussard really, really played well. Um, against UCLA and I guess kind of going in you know after week one what are your thoughts on Carl Durrell and you know his new coaching staff is there a much of a difference between Darren Cheverini's play calling from 2018 till now considering you know he wasn't in charge of calling the plays last year um, yeah. is there a whole lot of change do you think is he uh, more of a mature play caller or how do, how do you see that well starting off with Carl first um, what I love about Carl and, and guys normally by this point in time I would have known Carl Durrell very well under normal circumstances because right. in my role, when a new coach comes in, I'm spending a lot of time. There's a lot of conversations, a lot of picking his brain about, you know, his philosophy, what he thinks, what he does, being around the team. That's not the case because he got here in February. I'm still busy doing basketball. We're about ready to head in the postseason. And what was it, 12 or 14 days after I got here, the whole COVID thing blows up. And, you know, I wasn't on campus for – I think it was five months from when I got back from Las Vegas from the uh, Pac-12 tournament. I was on campus on that Monday. We shot a television show, and then didn't go back. I think it was five months between that and when I got back on campus. So um, I haven't got a chance to know Carl all that well. I know of him, know plenty of coaches who coached around him. The thing that has struck me, and 
when he got the job, I made a couple of phone calls to old coaching buddies of mine and just said, hey, what can you tell me about, about Carl Durrell? And every guy said the same thing. This guy is about as solid and consistent and professional as you're going to find. And I've, I've been saying, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, he, he deviates between about a 4 and a 6, and that's where he stays all the time. And I love that, right? I've always said about college teams in particular, when you're in, a, in front of a room of 18 to 22 young men, they don't always have to like you. In fact, they can, they can not like you. Gary and Barnett and I have talked about that many times. But they have to respect you, and they have to believe that you know what you're doing, you're consistent, and that you're the guy with the answers. And you can't be an emotional wreck. You can't be up and down and all over the place because at some point someone's going to look at you and go, man, I, I don't trust this guy. I don't know what he's all about, right? Carl's as, as steady as they come. And so I think that's ultra important for a college coach in particular in a game of football. And so that, that's, that's what we've learned about Carl. And watching him, how his team warms up, how they approach the game, everything is very professional. And I love that. Uh, I, I, I guess we should expect it with all his time with the National Football League. Now, as for Chev, you know, Chev's a, a young coach who's, who's growing up. And, you know, whatever mistakes he made in 2018, he learned from them. He didn't call the plays last year. And now he's been given that opportunity again. And I thought his play calling on Saturday for UCLA showed growth and maturity. And, and that's what you hope to see from him. Listen, Darren Chevarini, there's nobody that loves the University of Colorado more than Darren Chevarini does. And, I mean, his commitment to this program is off the charts. And he's also, I know he also loves coaching. And the guy works his tail off. So I would have been real disappointed if in that game we didn't see growth. I expected him to have it because I knew that, that after 2018 he probably got – on himself pretty hard and wanted to be better. And so in the two years since, he's grown up quite a bit, I think, as a play caller. So I was really impressed. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, looked phenomenal with the play calling. He really did. I, I really thought the offense yep. was flowing. It looked great for a brand-new coach and a brand-new quarterback and a brand-new running back, Not all, and especially with, you know, Katie Nixon not playing. And it seemed like there was a lot of maturity and flow in that offense, which was great. Yeah, without question. Mark. Yeah. Mark, how about uh, going back to Carl Durrell and kind of what he's been uh, offering the Buffaloes just from a standpoint. Of course, Mel Tucker leaving after his first year last year, going to East Lansing to go coach Michigan State. Uh, no one really saw that coming. What, of course, Mel Tucker kind of preaches that physical SEC kind of play of football. But what are kind of some major differences between Carl Durrell and Mel Tucker, what, whether that's coaching style, X's and O's, even the culture surrounding the team? How are they different, uh, those two coaches? Well, you know, it'll take me a little bit more time, I think, to really watch kind of the X's and O's and get a good, good feel on that after watching, you know, Mel for a full season. And, and Carl, it's going to be a, a partial season by the time it's all said and done. But just in terms of their approach, what I, what I said about Carl a moment ago about business-like, very calm demeanor, steady, not getting too high, not getting too low. I think Carl Durrell is about the substance. I don't think Carl really cares a whole lot about the sizzle, right? I mean, he, he wants uh, a business-like approach. He wants everyone to understand that your job is your job, and I'm going to expect you to do it, and you're going to expect me to do it, and that's the way they're going to go about it. And there's a very NFL kind of feel about that, I think. Mel had a little, uh, little showman to him, okay? Mel had a little, little pizzazz. He liked, uh, you know, remember the whole deal – Last year when he showed up in shorts, right? A uh, field right. coach good. Oh, those kind of things with Mel. Mel kind of enjoyed that aspect of it beyond the coaching aspect of it. And uh, I'm not sure that, that Carl's got that in. I think Carl's about the business at hand. When it's all said and done, we're going to win football games. That's where the success and attention will come from. I don't need to garner 
that anywhere else. So that, that's just a, a quick observation about the two and kind of how they're different. Well, there's no doubt that, yeah, Mel Tucker's a tough dude. I mean, he was wearing those shorts in that 20-degree weather against Utah and whoever they were playing late in the year last year. So he's a tough guy, no, no doubt. I'll say this, though. He, uh, he, every tough guy has got to match up. Coming from North Dakota, where it's really cold, by the way, and I yeah. grew up right up near the, the Minnesota border, my high school coach, the assistant coach, used to wear shorts every game no matter what. So that's real right. cool. So I give Mel credit. I'm just not going to make him as tough as the coaches I have. <laughs> He's not North Dakota bred. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, after, you know, um, during this first game against UCLA, we saw um, Tyler Lytle come into the game for a drive during the second quarter. Are we going to continue to see that, uh, the Buffs running multiple quarterbacks? And if so, are we going to get any look at true freshman Brennan Lewis? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I do think, okay, to your first question, yes. In fact, earlier today, as you and I were recording this, Carl Durrell did, was asked about that during his post-practice presser and actually did say that we will continue to see Tyler Lytle. And, and they, were, they were very clear when they named Sam Neuer the starter about how close that competition had been. And so, uh, you know, chances are in this, in this game, look at Clemson's already used a couple of quarterbacks this year, right? You're probably going to have to do that at some point in time. They've got two upperclassmen and want to make sure they're both ready. So don't be surprised if you see number seven out there, you know, maybe this weekend against Stanford or the next week against Arizona State. Tyler's going to play. Now as for Brandon Lewis, I think people are real excited about him. And he is physically an impressive-looking human being. You know, we've all heard the stories at this point about what he's done, you know, in the weight room with uh, strength coach Drew uh, Wilson and in, in, uh, how strong he's been and shattering all the quarterback records in terms of the strength and conditioning all these things so he's awful impressive in that regard but we all know that what really is the toughest transition at this level for a quarterback is what's going on up here I mean that that's what it's all about I've always said I I judge every quarterback on two things accuracy got to be able to hit your target don't have to have a cannon for an arm Montez had a cannon we we enjoyed watching that but you don't have to have a cannon but you got to be accurate and Maybe the most important thing for me, I'll say it number two, but it might be actually number one for me, is decision-making. And you got to be able to figure that out. And for me, with a quarterback, I've always said decision-making isn't just am I finding the right receiver. It's, it's the guy being a knucklehead off the playing surface. And, and I've always said about a quarterback, they are, in essence, even though we're talking about college, they're kind of the face of the organization, right? They're the CEO. They're the guy that leads the team. They're the boss. They're the, the guy everyone looks up to. You've got to be a good decision maker. You can't be a knucklehead. And, and so young quarterbacks have got to figure that out. And that's a tough transition for a guy coming, even a great athlete like, like obviously we're talking about. That's a tough transition coming from a high school, going to college, becoming a leader and doing all the things and understanding what life is like out on your own for the first time and a new system. And football is not just showing up on a Friday night like you can in high school because I'm a better athlete than everybody else. Everyone's a great athlete. Now I've got to learn more and work harder at it. So that's a transition. Brandon Lewis is going to have his time. I guarantee you that. Uh, but, you know, he's got to figure it all out. And, and he's got the two older guys ahead of him that can kind of, you know, play some football right now until he does get it figured out. Yeah, Mark, um, you know, I know Buff Nation was super excited about kind of Antonio Alfano. Of course, he was kind of a top recruit, committed to yep. Alabama. I believe he's from New Jersey, East Coast guy. What, what kind of – what is his position right now on the team? I know he's technically been reinstated to join team activities and whatnot. 
Uh, I think he's currently kind of awaiting a medical situation. Uh, do you know any facts about Antonio Alfano and maybe when we can see him make his debut for the Buffaloes? Well, it, it's going to be a while. And, and right now he's kind of hanging in that, that gray area, you know, getting things uh, taken care of, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. There were certain things with the reinstatement that he had to do, I think, from kind of a personal standpoint. There's a medical thing you're talking about. it, And to be honest with you, I mean, I haven't heard much. And, you know, with, with a lot of stuff like that, you know, if it's a sprained ankle, we hear about it. When it becomes beyond that, this is a personal thing that's keeping him off the field, not because of injury. You know, they're not, they're not giving us many details in that regard. All I know is this. This kid looks the part. I mean, when you draw it up, right. that's the way they're supposed to look. There's a reason he was the number one recruit in America. He was a five-star guy. He's got all of those abilities and so I'm excited. I'm hoping I'm knocking on them. I wouldn't desk right now. Yeah. That we get a chance to see him in a buff uniform because last time I checked, Alabama doesn't recruit guys unless they're pretty good. And the fact that he bounced <laughs> back and came here and that's is still fair. here, that's, uh, you know, we, we've had some great ones at this place before, yeah. you know, and Alfred Williams or someone like that comes to mind. Canavis McGee. We've had great, you know, rush guys here at the University of Colorado and, I think Antonio could be one of those guys, and I'm hoping we get a chance to ultimately see him in a buff uniform playing football. Absolutely. I think that's kind of what all of, you know, all Buffs fans are hoping for. Um, I know I'm excited to see him suit up. Um, I do have a question, though, about, you know, all of this COVID stuff in the Pac-12, um, you know, ending up being the latest conference to schedule games, get their games underway. You know, with the Pac-12 not having any makeup room for games being canceled, is this going to be an issue for a Pac-12 team to make the playoff? You know, for example, if there's like – if Oregon gets a game canceled and they're 6-0 and um, at the end of the year and there's a 10-1 and Notre Dame team, who is the committee going to select to, to bring into the playoff? Is that going to cause major issues for the Pac-12? Well, that's a great question, and I'll be honest with you. I, I think if, that, if it comes down to something like that, and, uh, you know, I don't care if it's, if it's an Oregon or, or Arizona State has a great year or – you know, USC or whoever it might be. How about the Colorado Buffaloes? Why not? We're one and zero. Right. Uh, yeah. But whoever gets <laughs> in go. that position, yeah. I mean, whoever gets in that position, if because they don't have the resume, the length of resume, maybe over. You know, using using your example, a ten and one Notre Dame team, we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. All right. And what I mean by that is this: I thought back on August 11th, and the first question I asked when the Big Ten of the Pac-12 canceled their respective seasons was why now? What, what is the hurry of this? Why are we making a definitive decision on August 11th to cancel a season when, let's be honest, for eight months, all of us, are we've been living in, in just this unknown. We're not sure what tomorrow's going to look like. Uh, things regarding COVID change, you know, day by day. We got phenomenal news this morning about uh, a potential vaccine, and so that's going to change things moving forward, whatever that looks like. And so it never made sense to me that the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled their season instead of doing what the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 did, which was kind of kick the can down the road a few weeks. Let's kick it down the road and see what it looks like here in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. So what has happened with the Pac-12 now, they painted themselves in a corner because there is no wiggle room. There, there's no accordion measure, if you will, in this season. You can't, you can't flex it at all because it's seven games in seven weeks. So um, – there's a possibility that could happen, and there's no way for the Pac-12 to make that up. It is what it is at this point in time. We're going to have to kind of hope the dominoes fall, you know, in, in uh, our league's favor and that uh, whoever our best team is when it's all said and done has got a legitimate shot. And maybe, maybe a couple of teams from some of those other leagues who have been playing longer, maybe they got more blemishes and warts on them. And so, you know, maybe a 6-0 and 
uh, or 7-0 and Pac-12 team gets in uh, beyond somebody else. So, yeah, I do think there were some mistakes made in terms of how this unfolded. Not necessarily that they, they had to push it back, but the fact they canceled it and left themselves no wiggle room. And so that may come back to, you know, kind of bite us in the backside when, it, when we get to the end of the season. I think, you know, there you're you totally right. I, I think they did mishandle it, um, especially because it brought almost a media circus along with it as well. You know, I mean, it yeah. really put the Pac-12 and the Big Ten in a really bad light compared to the SEC and the ACC because it was much cleaner and much smoother um, and much more comfortable with those other three transitioning. But um, anyway, Griff, go ahead with your next question. Yeah, I'd love to switch gears and talk some Buffs basketball. McKinley Wright coming back. Of course, they lost Tyler Bay last year. They got that grad transfer from Tulsa coming in, and hopefully he can kind of anchor down that power forward position. But how do you think the Buffs are going to compete in the Pac-12 this year? Uh, Do you think they're going to return to that level of play that they were last year? I know they kind of had that rough end to last year um, and eventually ended up losing to Washington State in that Pac-12 tournament game what do you think about the buffs this year uh could they be kind of a sweet 16 kind of team a team that can make some noise in march madness well uh, first off by saying it was kind of a rough start you're being very kind it was an, it was an awful yeah, start right. or, or stop end of the season i should say and, uh, yeah. it, it was just awful the way they, they, and this team uh as talented as it was a year ago and i thought a year ago they could have been a sweet 16 team and then just whatever you want to say lost their mojo yeah. down the stretch i don't know what it was but it disappeared on them so I think this team this year might be, and I, I, I only hedge a little bit because, you know, I haven't seen a lot of them in practice at this point in time, might be more talented. Now, they're not going to be as experienced, obviously. But here's what they do have. McKinley writes as good a point guard as there is in America. What a lot of fans don't know is what Keyshawn Bartholomew is. He is the young mm-hmm. man who came in last year at redshirt from Toronto. This guy could be a special player. And uh, Neil Welk, who... Is kind of my coworker on, on CUBUS.com. He and I were talking about this the other day. I'm thinking during my 16 seasons here, probably the best backcourt we've had was Spencer Dinwiddie and Eskia Booker during my time here. Both those guys were dynamic college players. Spencer's gone on to become a dynamic NBA player. I think this backcourt's got a chance to be that good, if not better. Last year, I heard frequently from coaches and players alike that they thought McKinley was getting so much better because Keyshawn was so good and testing him in practice every day. I think this backcourt could be special this year. They've got all kinds of experience up front. Uh, this coaching staff, this, uh, rather, this recruiting class they brought in, there are some talented players. You know, we did some introductory television interviews with all these guys here a month and a half ago or so, and every guy would walk in the room, and I'd, I'd be thinking, well, that's the way they're supposed to look. I mean, you know, you walk in, they're broad the shoulders, they're narrow in the hip, long-armed, athletic-looking guys. And so <laughs> right. that's the way they're supposed to look. There's a lot of talent on this team. This could be Tad's best team. And listen, when you get to the, the NCAA tournament, I don't think in college there's any position more important than a point guard position. And the Buffs have got one of the top guys, if not the top guy, in America. That's like having a great quarterback out there. That's exactly what you want. And this team is big, long, athletic, physical. The one thing they don't have is deep experience, and that'll come with time. So – Guys, uh, buckle up. I think it's going to be a little pretty fun season for that basketball team. No do, doubt. Do you, it's going to be interesting to see. Do you see the, the ceiling for this team being higher than the ceiling for the team last year? Well, that, that, that's yet to be determined. You know, last year you felt so good about everything because they, they didn't seem to have a real weakness and they had experience. You look at this team, you don't see a huge weakness outside of the fact they don't have deep experience. They've got frontline top six or seven experience. Now, beyond that, that's when it gets a little bit thin. And so at some point, 
over the course of what's going to be a 20-game schedule, obviously, in Pac-12 by this year, you're going to have to rely upon somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience out there. And so those guys are going to have to grow up real quick. But listen, I thought that team last year, in fact, it did right before the, the, you know, the, when the bottom fell out of the end, they had themselves in a position to compete and maybe win the regular season title of the Pac-12. This team, I think, should be in a similar position. I think they're good enough to compete for that, be in the big dance, and then see what happens come March. Mark, yeah, I mean, I, McKinley Wright, I don't think they've never been to the big dance with McKinley Wright as their point guard. So it should be interesting to see how they kind of progress as the year goes on. It would be a fitting way to end McKinley Wright's career as a Colorado Buffalo to kind of make it to the big dance and hopefully make some noise in that March Madness tournament. Oh, without question. And they would have last year. I mean, they were in the tournament right. last. Now they're, they're seeding. They were probably as high. Oh, at one point, they're probably as high as about maybe a four seed. And, and by the time right. we've gotten into the you know, Pac-12 tournament and they get knocked out by Washington State, they probably were falling into that six, seven, eight range. But they were in the dance. And so that's why that was so disappointing uh, last year, not getting that opportunity for McKinley. That's why uh, this year is so important. I mean, you want him. He's going to walk out of here as being one of the great buff basketball players of all time. And you want him to be in that position, to play in the postseason, to have that experience, to make a little run in the postseason. And, and then uh, go on to a professional career. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really pulling for the team because of McKinley this year. Absolutely. And that's kind of the only thing that I say is a, a positive from the whole COVID pandemic is everyone kind of forgot about the Buffs loss right before it all, all happened. <laughs> so, hey, do you know who I think it was the last it? game to ever get played it, that everybody remembers before everything went down. So Yeah. It, it, you know who didn't forget about it was Tad Boyle and that basketball team. I guarantee you that. <laughs> yep, they, that's okay. true. The rest of us, it kind of got, it kind of got brushed aside. Those guys didn't forget about it. I guarantee you. Absolutely. Well, hopefully that pushes them to be much better and, you know, really achieve that ceiling this year. So a couple of uh, quick questions to end on. Who is the okay. best Buffs team, regardless of sport, other than the 1990 national champions football team? Oh, man. Okay. Now you, you want me to here, Mark. You're putting me on a spot in terms of football right. and basketball. That's what you, you're asking me about. You know, those, you know, there's, a, there's that great argument all the time between 90 and 94, you know, because right. there are those that say that 94 team, and again, this is before my time here. It's hard to argue with the depth of talent on that 94 team. It was ridiculous. How many guys on that team were drafted? How many guys played the national football league? So you got, you're asking me to pick somebody. You know, the 61 team was phenomenal. There was a couple of teams back in the early 70s, as I've learned the history around Colorado, that were very, very good as well. You know, during my – you guys, I've been here during kind of a rough time. That's 16 rough years. <laughs> Outside of the first couple of years of yeah. Coach Barnett, when, when they were pretty darn good. You know, I was going to say, you've been there. You've been there just, just in time for them to kind of start that decline the last 15 years. But, hey, <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope they turn it around. Yeah, I had nothing to do with me, though, I guarantee it. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, that 2001 team was awful good. Uh, you know, winning the, the Big 12 yeah. championship. Should have played for a national championship that year. I'll go 94. I think, I think all due respect to some of those older teams, that, that's, that's far beyond my, my knowledge base outside of just hearing the stories. I'll go 94 because that team, when you think of Cordell Stewart and Rashawn Salam and Michael Westbrook, and I mean, just go on and on down the line, it was so loaded. The guys they had in the team winning national awards, Miracle of Michigan that year, I'll go the 94 team might be the second best. But you, you got to give 90, you know, the, the yep. top pick all the time because, you know, they brought home the hardware. 
Yeah. Well, 94, yeah, McCartney's last year, too. I'm, I'm trying to look, – looking back, I'm trying to remember how many first-round picks did they have in that draft, in the NFL draft. They, I'm pretty oh, sure they have ridiculous. quite yeah. a bit. I, I want to say that I'm, – I'm trying to think uh, off the two deep. I think the starting 11 on both sides got at least a, a sniff of the NFL. I'm pretty sure yep. all 22 guys did. And so think about that. I mean, that, in, in today's vernacular, that would be very That's Alabama-esque, right? Yeah, no doubt. That's quite the feat, I'd say. No doubt yep. about it. Absolutely. All right. Well, one last question for you. Who's your favorite buff of all time that you've ever covered and why? Oh, man. Okay. Now, now you're really going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> you know, if I, start pick, if I start picking guys out, I'm going to start yeah. hearing from guys going, wait a minute, what about me? You know? We're going to get phone <laughs> calls after this. And, uh, yeah, I know. They, mad mad individuals. You know, when I think back, it's, it, can I give you one in football and one in basketball? Can I do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'll give you one in, I'll give you one in football and one in basketball. Boy, you know, now that I say that, holy cow, I'm thinking. You know, that, that 2016 team, oh. and, and I almost have to split it between Seppo and Phil, you know? You, you yeah. had, I think Seppo Lufau will go down as one of the great leaders in what he did that season. Seppo wasn't necessarily the most physically talented quarterback that's ever come through here. But the way he led that team, the way everybody deferred to him, and then, you know, Philip Lindsay was, was just this, this force of nature out there with his, his enthusiasm, just the way he is with the Denver Broncos right now. So, boy, I, I'm, I'm tearing your question apart here. I'm, I'm going with two football guys already, and I haven't even got the basketball yet. You know, when it comes uh -oh. to basketball, when it, when it comes to basketball, there's so many great guys. You, you, you just love them, uh, so many of them. But Spencer Dinwiddie was always special in terms of how he carried himself. There was a bravado about him. Bus fans will always remember, you know, refer, referring to CSU as the little brother. I mean, right. you know, he had that about him. There was a – there's a fine line between confidence and cockiness. And guys who can, can walk that fine line without really offending – or becoming a pariah or poison to their team, I think are always unique. And Spence was able to do that. He believed in himself, undoubtedly. Well, heck, the way he left here after blowing his knee out and instead of coming back to reestablish himself, goes to the NBA and he's made it, tells you what's going on between the years of that guy. He's smart, and I always loved the, the kind of the bravado he had. It was not that offensive bravado. It was it was almost like, man, I, I like that guy because, because he's got so much confidence in himself. So uh, – I may have to go with him, but like I said, there's, I'm going to hear from somebody and then afterward when I call you back and go, tell us I forgot about this guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't agree more with you uh, about Cepho, and uh, I'm convinced to this day if, if he didn't get injured in that Michigan game, I, I think the Buffs have a pretty good chance to win in that game. Yeah, I'd agree. You'll never find more heart uh, uh, combined between Phil and Cepho. Never. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only 23 oh. years old, but watching – Right. Um, you know, I'm a, originally a Florida Gator fan, so Tim Tebow had a lot of the same, you know, leadership and heart sure. that, that those guys yep. did. But, man, between those two, you couldn't get more heart in one room. Unbelievable. Well, you, yep. you had the one guy who was just and, – and he was – you know, I, I always said about Josh Scott. There's another great buff, by the way. Josh was like the 35-year-old, 20-year-old, right? I mean, <laughs> there was a maturity about him. And Seppo had that same thing where – he was like the, the, you know, nobody questioned who the leader of this thing was. Where Phil, like I said, his passion, his emotion, his drive, his determination just was infectious. And between those two guys in the locker room, you know, that was some special stuff. Absolutely. Awesome, Mark. Well, thank you for coming on our show. Grip, do you have anything else for him? You know, I, I don't think I do, Mark. I want to I thank you again for coming on to the show. 
really appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to maybe having you on again sometime soon. Anytime, guys. Just drop me a line and enjoy talking about you know sports casting and the Colorado Buffaloes. Those are two topics I'm always happy to talk about. Two awesome. greatest things in the world, no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you later. All right, guys. All right, E, how about some games to look out for this weekend? Yeah, this weekend, I have my eyes on the Seahawks and the Rams. It's a pretty big divisional game with the Rams contending for that last wild card spot over there in the NFC. And the Seahawks look to continue to extend their lead in the NFC West. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bills and the Cardinals this week, E. Josh Allen coming off that huge performance where he, I think, indeed, in fact, threw four touchdowns, was it? Yeah, so four touchdowns in that win against the Seahawks. Cardinals are also kind of a up-and-coming team, kind of an exciting team to watch for this year. Five and three is where they stand right now in the win-loss record. So it should be interesting to see who kind of comes up on top in that game. Any closing thoughts from you, E? Absolutely. Check out our website, showcasesportsmedia.com. Check out our Instagram, at showcasesportsmedia. Review us on Apple Podcasts if you like what we're doing over here on our podcast. Anyways, thanks for listening. That's going to be a wrap. Cheers from Showcase Sports Media. We'll see you next week.